0: Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. Um,
1: um, um,
0: (plays) This is the Game of Thrones recap for uh, Season 3, Episode 10, and also for all of Season 3 as we look back over... Uh, as we look back over season three and it's, uh, available as a YouTube video, uh, on overthinking And also we are putting this one out on the podcast feed. So if you suddenly got a midweek overthinking It podcast and don't know what the heck is going on, well, uh, we're giving you a special episode because we've been doing these, uh, these recaps, but this more general one where we consider the whole series, um, is uh you know is going to go out on the audio so spoiler alert right now i want to warn you if you are getting this unsuspecting in your podcatcher you know in itunes or, or whatever it is you use i want to warn you that we are going to talk about the plot developments of game of thrones the tv show through season three and with with some reference to the books through the middle of book three which is where we are yeah,
1: uh, we, we won't spoil anything that is ahead plot-wise of the show. We just might right. incorporate some details that are parallel to what's happening in the show to enrich the experience. Yes,
0: and but uh, we will talk about what happened in the show uh, up to there. So there is your spoiler alert, there uh, is your warning. Um, if you're listening to this in audio, you can't see who the heck is talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're watching the video, you see that that is Pete Fenzel hey how's it going man how's it going i'm uh hodor hodor <laughs> he's done and i'm uh hodor uh, <laughs> and I'm Matthew Rather. And so we uh we're we're missing some of our other recappers. Some schedules prevented Ben and Shayna from being with us. So when you hear a me... wedding related accident. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, yeah. Ben is somewhere with the head of a wall. No, that's terrible. I wouldn't wish no, that on.
1: The, the thing about the overthinking of podcasts is that no podcaster is safe from a scheduling conflict. <laughs> it really enriches the, uh, the sense of danger and the sense of risk.
0: Um, So uh, yeah, so we, we, uh, when you hear me do the, the crazy things I do like, um, you know, flog products or talk about, you know, advertisements and, you know, more and more of that kind of businessy stuff and overthinking it. The reason we're doing it is so that the podcasters can devote more time to doing the stuff we like and don't have to do other stuff. Like, you know, take freelance jobs to, to pay their rent (laughs) and stuff like that. So, uh, so uh, enough intro. On to season three, uh, episode ten. Pete, uh, what was your favorite? We've started almost every one of these recaps uh, with um, with you giving a paradigmatic scene that kind of expresses the you know the most um, uh, that expresses the most what um, metaphorically dense section of the uh, of the episode. Did you find one uh, in season three, episode ten?
1: Yeah, I feel like the one for this episode was pretty clear, and for me, it was <clears throat> the <clears throat> excuse me the wonderful scene with Tywin Lannister after he sends Joffrey to bed, right? Uh, and, and explains, of course, first that you know, oh, do you think that the you know the king actually has power here and all that other stuff? When he talks about uh, that, he talks about his relationship with family and his relationship with legacy, uh, and it's interesting because it's a step more complex. Uh, and also more self-aware than we generally give Tywin Lannister credit for understanding himself. Because there's a central irony to Tywin Lannister's character, which is he is was wounded by the inefficacy of his father as kind of a family manager, as a ruler, as a protector of the Lannister legacy, his sort of softness, his in, in incompetence. And so for Tywin Lannister, it's really, really important to advance the family legacy but he's also very, very mean to his family, right? And he doesn't appear to like them. He doesn't often act in their interest, it seems. Tyrion calls him on it. And he was like, when did you ever... Act in the in the interest of anyone other than yourself, and Tywin kind of gives a nonsense answer, which is like, "When I didn't murder you when you were a baby." Um, but the thing that Tywin talks
0: about—I mean, I really, like- every parent could say that. You know? <laughs> like, I could have not you in the ocean, <laughs> not murdering your children as infants or newborns, right? Yeah. Like, is uh, uh, is is a prerequisite for good parenting? It is a necessary but not sufficient condition for good parenting. <laughs> We're not doing the Mad Men
1: recap yet, (laughs) Uh, where we talk about good parenting on a slightly higher level. Um, But Tywin talks about how the people who work in the interests of their family are more successful than the people who work in their own interests, right? And I feel like this is a really important shade to what Tywin is talking about. It's not just that Tywin has an emotional relationship with his family legacy, and he feels like he needs to right this wrong. He has kind of a practical understanding of what family legacy means in Westeros, and he, in that working in the advancement of a family uh, is, is necessary because uh, you can't make it on your own, right? Like, he, there's too many things that could go wrong. Life for everyone is too precarious. Building a family legacy is really your best chance at accomplishing anything.
0: Sure. Um, I- and, yeah. Oh No, you, you finish your thought before oh, I jump
1: in. And, and, and I think um, this sort of ties into this episode for me and into the series as a whole, right? Uh, the, the season as a whole, rather. The series as a whole, sure, but we're not really at that scope yet. More of the season as a whole, because uh, it poses the question of what do you do now that you've recognized the you know, intolerably and unforgivably cruel nature of life in Westeros, right? Like last episode, we saw Rob and Talisa and Catelyn all killed. Uh, I know there was an Onion AV Club article that wrote about how this is the death of hope, right? Um, And I had some slightly different opinions about the Red Wedding, but I won't go into that at the moment because we talked about that last week. But this idea of, okay, uh, everything is falling apart all around you. What do you do? right like and and tywin lannister's solution is you work for the advancement of your family and you don't do it because it's the good thing right you don't do it because of your duty you certainly don't do it because of your duty to your family uh you do it because it's the thing that lasts and he does talk about this in that wonderful butchering scene from i think it's season one is it season or is it season two no it's season two because he's in the field at war Right, like, yeah. uh, and so, and so when Jamie visits him, right? It's Jamie that's in that scene where he's butchering the pig, or is it Tyrion? I forget.
0: No, I think it may be. I think it may be Tyrion, like yeah. newly escaped from Catlin's right. clutches or something.
1: But he's wearing armor, so right, right, because they're they're at at war, and he's butchering this stag or, or deer or pig or something, and talks about how when you're gone, family is the thing that lasts. Um, but it also offers you. Uh, temporal reward now because it's the kind of thing that provides you a sort of circus, a center of strength uh from which to do things otherwise and so that's sort of to me what this episode is all about is what are the centers of strength that are able to endure and are able to move forward after all of the horrible things that we've seen this season happen right if you remember the season kind of falls into an abyss right uh on, on the episode the, the i might get confused between the uh the names of the Mad Men episodes, the names of the Game of Thrones episodes, because right. they're, they're very undescriptive. The Fall, is that a Mad Men episode or is that a, a Game of Thrones
0: episode? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that may be a Mad Men episode. Yeah,
1: because there is definitely The Climb,
0: which is a Game of Thrones episode. That's a
1: Game of Thrones episode. <laughs> oh, uh, his, I'm thinking of his Watches, en- now his Watches ended, right? right? So the arc of the season for Game of Thrones sort of goes like this, and then now his Watches ended, it sort of plunges you down into this abyss. Right, and uh, it's all about sort of death and things falling apart, and we see Jamie's hand get cut off in around that time too. Uh, as we sort of, maybe not in that exact episode, and then you hit the climb, right, where it's like, oh, we have to like be Nietzsche, and we have to like claw with our fingernails to get out of this abyss. That's more being Al Pacino than being Nietzsche, uh, and, and you sort of get to this point where it's like, okay, people are kind of climbing out, they're facing adversity, and what are they doing? They're forming these meaningful relationships with each other, and you see, like, the couples. There's that Game of Thrones episode where it's all the couples together, right, where yeah. it's like Jamie and Brienne, and and you see all of them uh, kind of gravitating towards one another that's not called the better half that's a madman episode (laughs) (laughs) i forget what that one is called too um but eventually you've gotten to this point where you've kind of like rebuilt a little bit of a nuclear family unit and then the reigns of Castamere is like nope and just destroys it right and so it's like uh all right now what do you do what
0: are, what remains after you've got well, this- what 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 you do is you check in with every storyline for a couple <laughs> of seconds each just to kind of keep tabs and tee everyone up for season four
1: yeah you, you tread water is what you do you tread water <laughs> i I'm not, not sure boat thats with I and you row
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that's totally fair of us though that is the that's the thing and and watching some of the reaction on social media you know after like uh you know i i feel like not since two girls one cup has a has an has a piece of video like uh demanded that you film yourself watching it and reacting to it in quite the same way that the rains of casting are
1: it did. is pretty funny how the the call for reaction videos is very influenced by people's experiences with Two Girls, One Cup. And like, <laughs> George R. R. Martin wrote the, rain, the the scene. He wrote the Red Wedding back in, you know, whatever, the year 2000 or 1998 or whatever it was. He can't have anticipated that it would have been seen through the color, like through <laughs> the interpretation of Two Girls, One Cup, as right. people love to see reactions of people freaking out at video on the internet. Um, but the main thing is that, like, yes, it checks in with everybody, but more importantly, I think it shows uh what it is that they're going to be fighting for right and also like what it is that's going to sustain them right um or what it is that is sort of presuming to sustain them and 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 it it has to be a level higher than just that we like each other right it has to be a level higher than just you know or we love each other it's more than just the individual social relationships right like you see you know aria Uh, And her coin and her sense of vengeance, right? The first man that she's ever killed. And you have this sense it's not going to be the last, right? And there's this sort of, so she has her thing to hold on to, right? And like Bran and Jojen and Mira uh, and Hodor, Hodor have this really powerful sense of mission right this idea that they are going to stop the white walkers and that's what they're holding onto uh and and you know we see stannis kind of at a crossroads where he could go in one direction where he's going to burn gendry alive and take the iron throne or he go in the other direction where he's going to go and presumably help out the night's watch in the north and he makes the latter choice
0: i right? want to put a pin in that and circle back yeah. to it in a, in a little while but i you're on a good roll so i don't want to interrupt right. what so,
1: you're but the the point is that uh, and even and also daenerys being held up by all of her like you know, like post-colonial, not, not, not even post-colonial, like not nearly ironic enough hordes of brown people. Yeah. Uh, I think I saw someone write, uh, on Reddit that it was like a casting call need a thousand brown people to worship a pretty white lady. Uh, let's not make it weird. You know, like (laughs) (laughs) Um, it was weird. (laughs) It's like, let's not make it too weird. It was weird um but you know the idea of misa mother right like um the the mother being the kind of both the kind of originator and the caretaker of a family uh these these legacies are all similar and analogous to Tywin lannister's legacy in that they're not just about what you're trying to accomplish when you're doing them they are about the fact that you even have these things that helps you survive and it gives you an advantage over people who don't have these things right uh like um I mean, it's 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 Theon's dick in a box, right? <laughs> Which like gets sent to to Balon, and and you see, it's interesting because you see Baylon and you see, I, I want, I always want to call her uh, Tasha Yar, because <laughs> cause her name in the books is Asha, and her name in the show is Yara, and I'm pretty right. sure that uh, that's not a, by accident. I mean, it's probably, probably by
0: accident. <laughs> and I guess, I mean, I guess, I guess they figured that without having the different letters on the page, we wouldn't be able to distinguish between Asha and Osha. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Which the, one the, is the later, right? The, <laughs> it's, he stole the joke I was going to make. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, uh, which one is the, Which one is the workplace health and safety, uh, you know, department, and which one is the security officer in season one of Star Trek: The Next Generation? Well,
1: clearly, Tasha Yar could have used a little more workplace safety, given the way that she approached that sludge monster that eventually killed her. Spoilers for season one of Star Trek: The Next Generation. But the point is that you see really sharply the contrast between uh, Balon and Asha, and Asha echoes Tywin Lannister in kind of a surprising way in the sense that, like, he's my brother. He's your son, right? And Baylon's like, well, he can't continue my line. You know, he can't have a grandson for me. So I'm not personally now, because he's had his penis chopped off. Um, But um, uh, it's the North. Maybe they have some on ice. They cryogenically frozen.
0: Um, But um, They cut uh, me root and stem. (laughs) Oh, man. But
1: the point is that, like, you get the sense that... If, because the, the Asha, the Yara, Asha, the Tasha Yara moment is different in uh, the show than in the books. It's, it's given much more of kind of a heroic, uh, and like a heroic uh, moment. I don't even think that, that, uh, that Tasha Yara is even there, that Yara is even in the Iron Islands, in Pike, right, when, uh, when Balon finds out. Um, I thought she was in Deepwood Mod and was still kind of fighting her way across the north. Oh, in the um. books? It doesn't really matter. The point is they turn it into this big, heroic, hopeful moment, partly because they don't want everyone to want to kill themselves after watching two sad episodes of the show in a row, uh, which is an issue I'd like to put a pin in and come back to. Um, but also, I think, because it really echoes what Tywin Lannister says earlier in the show and frames it in a much more positive way in a way that we would see as much more positive. I'm going to go rescue my brother, versus like, I'm going to go murder this unborn baby. <laughs> right, and it's like the same motivation forces you to both, do both things, which makes you kind of ask why this is the thing that people are doing. And I think the answer is because it works. Um, I mean, I've talked a little bit last week, and I won't go into it too much detail, about how all of these social organizations are seem to be designed to get through the winter. Um, and, and that we're going to see all of these things get tested as we move into the later seasons of the show. That's not even really a spoiler. That's speculation at this point, right? Like, like that's not—I'm not, I'm not, I'm not say, telling you things I know that other people—that you wouldn't know from reading books or whatever. Even from this point in the story, you can sort of see that these relationships are going to be tested by the increasingly hostile environment around everybody. Right. Um, And then, so that's what this episode is doing, is it's like giving you the centers of hope. So there's there's my little rants, you know, like, there's my little thing. Um,
0: Well, I mean, the centers of hope and what, I mean, what can, you know, what can, what actually can survive in, you know, in the war of all against all? Like, Mm -hmm. what are the, you know, what are the dominant strategies in that you know, in that set of, in that fact pattern, right? In that set of conditions. Um, right. I, I think that like you sort of, you sort of touched on it, but I want to underline a little, a little bit, kind of the weakness in uh, Tywin Lannister's conception of family. Right. Mm-hmm. And we could, we could sort of set up uh uh The Lannister model of being a parent, right? Like, Cersei as a mother, kind of horrified by... Horrified, but, like, unable to stop loving her son, Joffrey, who is a, 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 you know, psychopath. Just Um, a Don
1: Draper of a man. Just... (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Madman recap will be later. It'll be later.
0: (laughs) He would leave you in the hotel room, take your book away, and then shoot you with an arrow. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so uh right I and, Tywin man. like Tywin as a father versus um versus uh uh Daenerys as a mother right, right. as misa you know right. uh but like Tywin's conception and some i mean something that i've said about the the show so far is that one of the right one of the um like not not uh main points but one of one of the um consequences of the way this story is told is that it's a story that that uh wants to explain why our explain why rea- uh, our conceptions the constructions we put on reality uh are not adequate to coping with with actual reality um right that is to say things like things like honor abstractions like honor or good or things like this right like it's it actually reminds me kind of of friday night lights where the the show sets up the all-american hero quarterback guy in the first episode and then spoiler alert paralyzes him right like oh no winter <laughs> <yeah>. is coming <laughs> yeah. well apparently you know yeah. and so <laughs> um so i mean that's more of a game of throws yes <laughs> Waka 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 sing um so uh you know and and i th- right and so that no no abstract systematization of uh, you know can really account for the the incredible strangeness and incredible cruelty of reality or at least of reality as it's depicted in this right in this series, I I have some hope that actual humanity can at its best be slightly more humane than what's depicted in Game of Thrones. But, you know, for the purpose of Song of Ice and Fire, the, you know, the series of novels that the, the uh, TV series is based on, it's, you know, it really is the war of all against all. And so in this context, I think the weakness of um, Tywin's I think I, I think the weakness of Taiwan's conception of family is that it's another abstraction. You know what I mean? It's like you could put honor in, you know, without yeah. right, with without any conception of the individuals involved and what you know what I mean and what they want. Um, this is I mean this is something you said, but that I just that I just want to underline that that like uh, you know if if you're not. Uh, what is? I mean, what is family other than the people, you know, the people that are that are actually in it, right? Like, what you know, it's. I mean, that's this, the like,
1: question, right? Yeah, and yeah. The,
0: the idea of a, the idea of an abstract interest of the thing that remains um, after you're gone. Well, ask Ned Stark what remained after he's gone, right? Like, I think the series has already given lie to this to this idea that you know uh, uh, r- that you can. I don't know, take it with you in some sense.
1: Yes, I mean, I would disagree to a slight extent. Uh, if only, I think the, if only because of the really important presence, especially in the first season and even into the second season of the Crypts of Winterfell, uh, which which are this sort of central place in kind of uh, the introduction of the Stark children to the world. Um, right. The idea that, that Ned is in the Crypts, that people are having dreams of Ned in the Crypts, uh, and right then, also that the crypts themselves are kind of fo- associated with these old, uh, powerful families.
0: But then it's uh, also, I mean, it's also like where they take refuge, uh, Bran and Rickon, when they're hiding out from uh, from Theon and his sacking the castle, right? Like, so it's yeah. not only, I mean, it's not only this sort of important kind of site of education and of kind of uh, reifying. Uh, that's not the right word, but, but, you know, sort of making, making concrete, uh, the abstract idea of history and lineage, but it's also, you know, it's also in a very material way, uh, like a refuge. It's something that, that you can turn to as a resource, uh, the crypts of Winterfell for, for shelter when you need it. You know, I like, I, I had uh, just to get personal for a second, like when Winterfell was sacked, and as as got as i got through like book book 2 and 3 and and i realized that like it wasn't coming back and that like not not only had we wiped out ned and kind of scattered the kids to the four winds but like now the castle is more or less gone it's a ruin um like i had this reading it i had this like very uh visceral reaction that where I was like very sorrowful about that like I I was really unhappy because I guess I'm on the side of stable social institutions (laughs) yeah you know what I mean and and of history and like so I I realized that like it is yeah it it's it's real it's valuable and it can be even a material help at you know at certain points and yet it's exceedingly vulnerable Right. Like, you know, who's going to remember now? I mean, I guess maybe the Maesters, right, have it written down somewhere in the Citadel where they can like, uh, you know, I don't know where they have the whole the whole history of Westeros like uh, 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 written down. Um, But, you know, who's going to remember right when the when the in the ruins of Winterfell, when that staircase caves in, you know, right who who's gonna who's gonna remember that there was even anything down there
1: right i mean that's a good question certainly the way that the people in the story now look back on their pasts and on kind of the age of heroes um what i mean the 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 strangest fact about westeros i think that people have to sort of deal with is the existence of the wall Right. right because because the existence of the wall is sort of is proof to everybody that they should take pretty seriously that there is something worth considering that happened in the past involving these people. Right. Right, like that that we that we are not at liberty and, and I think what it raises is that we are not the, the point about reality it raises is that we are not truly at liberty to move forward with our own lives and our own cultures without any regard for the past that came before us. Because there are relics of the past that are part of who we are and the challenges that we face that are inescapable for one reason or another. And in the case of Westeros, they are manifest in this like perpetual low-level threat of zombie invasion, which, you know, people don't generally believe in, but at the same time, there's this giant wall, right? Like, <laughs> And so it's sort of like, like, well, there is this giant wall, and it's like, well... wall, wall didn't it, build itself. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, why is it there? And, and It's like, uh, I just feel like that's such a powerful symbol of the way that people relate to the past, in that, like, we do know if we stop and think about it, that this giant wall, which is supposed to have magical powers and clearly did something major has some sort of relevance to us today like it must right at least as we search for some sort of explanation uh certainly the great wall of china is similar you know there are there's ideas of ways of thinking about china that are very much informed by this great wall this great great engineering project right that uh that defines the middle kingdom to an extent and then also kind of uh separates it from the areas of Central Asia where things were more nomadic. Sure. Uh, like, I mean, I'm not Chinese myself, so I'm not sure, but I would assume that that's how it would be, right? Certainly, like, it's based on Hadrian's Wall, which in certainly informs the history of Britain, right? right? Like, that's what the wall is most notably, based, most uh, directly based on.
0: Um, and the idea, I mean, the idea of a wall you know not not only does it indicate that hey like there was something there was a reason that seems compelling enough to put in like really a lot of effort to yeah. make a <laughs> you know yeah. to make a, a a wall that's hundreds of miles long and 700 feet high right yeah. the um but not not only that but it also kind of raises the possibility it's it's the kind of the dark night rises question of like it, if everything is chaos, where did all of this collective action come from? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean like, like somebody had to stack the desks on top of each other. Yeah. So, you know, so that uh, the, like the, some, could climb to the top. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody yeah. had to so that the yeah, said so that the judge in the kangaroo court could sit up there. Someone had to like pile the ice and stones, you know, like and hundreds of someone's you know had to like work and die oh, probably over the course of many generations. Yeah. And you know, you get the sense that there's like very deep sort of very deep sort of magic i mean i don't know the the game of thrones universe is like i would really like some extended universe kind of sources i would really like some sort of ancillary novels or novel series or things like this uh to to you know once once a song
1: yeah there's the i guess there's like Duncan egg yeah i mean there's a little bit right and then there's like a lot of erotic fan fiction
0: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) why bother yeah <laughs> that's true when you have podrick Payne striding oh. through this episode like the sexual apotosaurus that he is <laughs> and, right like swinging his big tail around and uh the the wenches all giggling and scraying away yeah, um yeah. in the face right like he has i mean he has you know um, he has kind of achieved the task of the patriarchy, which is to replace the, the penis with the phallus, right? <laughs> he's, done, <laughs> he's done, right? Like the, the idea of whatever his sexual organ, uh, whatever it actually is, has been so far eclipsed by the myth uh, you know what I mean? Of yeah. that as like a site of his as a sight of his power. He's kind of like he's kind of like the anti Theon. But but speaking of the wall, I want to move us on a little bit because we okay. have to. Um, I, we I, I want to touch on all the the threads of the story that we yeah. um, talk. Speaking of the wall, th- there was something different in the books um, about the way Davos convinces Stannis to go to go to the wall, and you get mm-hmm. the sense that Stannis decides even over the objection of Melisandre, and that. It's not that she, it's not that she decides for him, which is what is essentially depicted in, uh, right in the, the, um, uh, in the TV series, that is to say, Davos shows the the message of Meister Aemon to her. She realizes that this is in fact the existential war of light against darkness of you know R- R- Arhala against the others. <laughs> and like, hey, actually, you know what? Never mind. The Iron Throne is is kind of a trifle, and we're we're headed north to actually you know conquer the 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 enemy that that matters right it's framed slightly differently in um it's framed slightly differently in the book and i and i think that the, that the way it's done in the series sort of impoverishes stannis uh impoverishes stannis a, a, a little bit i mean you get the sense in in the books that 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 he's his own man, right? Uh, In the sense, in the sense that he's not buying, he he's into what works and he is a judge for himself of Mm -hmm. what works. And he even says like explicitly like, eh, you know, this, this God, this, this red God thing is working for me right now. You know, it's, it's got me, it's got me this far rather than being kind of a capital T capital B true believer, right. That, uh, that he is in the series. And, you know i don't know i feel like that's a stronger position or at least or at least has more opportunities for tension and conflict uh in the books um than this which is that um melisandra is the one who essentially makes a choice who evaluates the situation and says um no this is the important thing this is this is where you should go and by the way you should save davos and he says, but i made up my mind yeah, No, no no you need to you know we need him we need we need Davos in their heading. It's it's in the book, it's framed as, well, if you want to be a king, what do kings do? They rule, they take care of their subjects, almost in the almost like Taiwan taking care of his family, right? And it's it's you know, as a king, it is a higher priority actually to protect the realm um rather than uh you know rather than you fight over the fight over who gets the house in king's landing you know yeah. there are like there are for the family of man right there are more important um considerations so uh yeah so that's i mean that's that but the you know okay so stannis is headed up stannis is headed up to the wall uh Bran we talked about bran and and hodor and and uh hodor and uh, you know hodor gave the game away right they could have totally still stuck with the Direwolf. i don't know any Direwolf right? <laughs> until hodor said hodor and then yeah. uh, and, that, and that gave the that gave the game away um you know so uh is okay, that the so game of going... the game of faulknerian manchild stealth is that the game
1: that they were playing? It's like, let's hide this seven foot tall mumbling man. It <laughs> yeah. is. Oh, a tale. you're terrible at that game.
0: It, yeah. is, a, it yeah. is a tale told by a hodor. Yes. Yeah. Oh.
1: <laughs> Full of hodor and hodor, signifying Odor. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, yes. So uh uh yeah, so Sam and Gilly are now are now back and are going to Maester Amen. Mm-hmm. Uh John, you know, returns to, John returns to, um, Castle Black, uh, all, all shot full of arrows and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, well, I feel
1: like like Master Eamon is an interesting character to consider, like his appearance in this episode. Uh, I mean, he's awesome. Master Eamon is awesome. I I don't think that's controversial, uh, but he paints a couple of dichotomies, uh, that I feel like are particularly important looking at the end of this season. Chief among them is his speech about love, right? And like, you know, we are human, the gods have, and this is from earlier on, And we are human, the gods made us for love, and that is our great tragedy, right? And, or I'm sure he, he adds a little bit of a positive spin to it too. But it's that like, you know, what is all of this stuff next to when he describes all these aspects of love and and how this is what human beings really want and, and it underscores the great sacrifice that you make when you join the Night's Watch. Um And, of course, we see John and Rob made opposite decisions, right? Like, you know, Rob chose love and John chose duty. And you see what a horrible uh, pain it is to John to not choose love because the gods made us for love, right? And, like, love is what is most natural to us. Love is what makes us happy. And uh, Rob, you know, is very happy right up until the point where he gets shanked, right? Like, you know, because... (laughs) Because it is our great tragedy that we're made for love, and the world isn't made for love, right? And 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 that's like a sublimity, and that's a a sort of a pain that will, you know, be through all of literature forever. (laughs) But but is is also in this story. And then the other big one is, of course, you know, his duty to take up the responsibility and the power and the uh, self identity. uh, Self identity is redundant, but of being a Targaryen right? Like, like versus like his own call when he was younger to go and be king, right? Like, because do everyone we know?
0: Else oh God, do we know in the series that Eamon is Eamon Targaryen? Did that come out already? He, he talks I mean, about it. He talks okay. about how
1: like there was somebody who once called for, for him and then he had to make a decision. It's he's, he's talking to John right before John decides to leave the wall. Season two. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Season two. And he explains that he, he's a Targaryen and he was in line to be king and he turned it down. Uh, because of his duty to the night 's watch, and he presents it in a way like it 's not entirely clear that he that going back again, he would have made the same decision. Well, he probably would have made the same decision, but he 's not necessarily advocating that John make the same decision that he did he 's not saying like you have to be a dutiful person and you have to listen to your oaths rather than do what you will. He has a more complex understanding of the fact that there's going to be these irreconcilable moments right? These just really painful, irreconcilable moments where you have to confront what it means to have made your oaths. And I think that's what he's saying to Sam too, because he doesn't come down on Sam. He's not like, you know, Sam, you're a jerk off and you should have brought this woman here and you're going to be scrubbing the bathrooms and I'm going to whip you for breaking or none of this stuff. He's sort of like, you know, you made an oath, Sam. Like, are you aware? Like, are you aware of what you're doing in this situation? Right? Like, although it is pretty funny. He's like, it's not what it looks like. And he's like, what? (laughs) 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 but but that idea that like um you know (laughs) that was really funny (laughs) that maester raymond is old enough and also sort of seasoned enough in life and understands life enough in both its beauty and its terribleness and its you know agony its ecstasy its summers and its winters to to be able to hold into his mind both ideas both the tragedy of love and the tragedy of duty and also the sort of you know tragedy of honor and tragedy of family right like um which come come into conflict, or at least your, your sort of um, your various relationships with who you are, uh, who you choose to be versus who you were born to be. Perhaps is another is another way of looking at it. Perhaps, although that's not really articulated much in the story. Um, but yeah, and then again, that's here. That's that's here too, right? Like, um, I mean, I guess you could connect that. You could connect Aemon in this sense to Daenerys. And I'll and I'll I'll push this to you because because Daenerys was born a Targaryen. And that meant a lot uh, to Viserys, and we have not really seen how much it means to Daenerys. Like, like there's a sense I think I tend to think that the role of Viserys in the story is kind of really important that Viserys is, is really, uh, is really key to Daenerys's character. And, and, uh, that as she sort of grows up, she, she's keeps, she sort of remembers him after he's dead. We don't get that because we don't get her point of view of her sort of reminiscing about what Viserys was like before he kind of went crazy. Um, but this idea that she does understand, because it was so important to him, what it means to be a Targaryen, and and I think that that's kind of what, one of the things that we're seeing as she's crowd surfing over all those people, right, is that she she definitely sees herself as this as royalty, uh, but not royalty in the aristocratic sense, like like born into it, like she is like like the, the idea that she is a mother of these people, um, and that she sees no problem with being elevated above them even though she looks totally different from them, right? Like her sort of like shining platinum hair, uh, being her big sort of mark of her, of her birthright and legacy. The idea that, that she sends her dragons flying at the same moment that she reaches her sort of popular apotheosis is another sort of idea that she that she's sort of buying into this idea of herself as a Targaryen, whatever yeah. that means. Um, that in the battle of, you know, what's your duty, versus you know who were you born to be like what's your what's what is it you're setting up to do versus like uh how much free will do you have over your situation uh versus you know who were you born to be and what power and what energy and what determination does that lend you and you're gonna
0: yeah go ahead yeah Daenerys is an interesting character in this regard because like so much of what she has done so far has been um not preordained right has been like through the the function of her will right and like clawing along inch by miserable inch you know grappling the stones with her fingernails right like through the red waste and through you know uh through the fire of her husband's funeral pyre right and through the through um sort of the the house of the
1: dying and the warlocks right and like All that stuff. Yeah, exactly.
0: Right, right. And that, that like, so what it's, she's an interesting character in this regard because she's done that. She's done the climb, right? Yeah. But then also there, there is this, there is this sense. And like, I think just in connection of royalty, I have an association to Helen Mirren in The Queen, right? Mm. And if you, if you, um, uh, recall that movie there's this very strong sense and it comes it comes out really well in Helen Mirren's performance which is excellent and and very economical of like this is who I this is who I am because it's what I was born to do um, I don't have the same responsibilities or the same freedoms as other people I have different you know my my lot is different just by virtue of the just by virtue of the fact that I was, you know, born into this and it, it so happened with the application of blah, 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 blah. Right. Like, um, and the, like the toll that, that, you know, that, that takes on, uh, uh, on a person, right. Like, cause there still is an individual, right. There still is a subjectivity and an agency in there somewhere, <laughs> you know what I mean? Being sort of subjugated to the, uh, to the general will. And so one of the, I mean, one of the things it's very interesting. One of the things that, that Daenerys is taking on here, uh, you know, who knows whether she's right, whether she's suited to it, yeah. uh, or not or, or like really suited to it or not. Um, at this point, right. She's shown great, uh, she's shown great. What? Um, uh, great. Yeah. Determination. Yeah. yeah
1: determination.
0: Yeah, so a ton of grit, but not a ton of like um, administrative experience. Yeah. (laughs) You know know what I mean? Like, and it's, and the people that she has around her, and I'm thinking of Sir Berristin and Joram Mormont and Daryl Harris and Grey Worm, right? They are, they're very gritty, but, but they're not like no one, she doesn't have a chief operating officer. Right, 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 right. right. So, uh, so this is I mean right this is an interesting yeah. uh, this is an interesting situation that yeah. she's going into with her you know I mean it's it's interesting. She, it's like um, it's like there's this burden you know that she's <laughs> that she's taking up yeah, yeah you know and we'll see how she's there, there's t-
1: another there's another there's an aptly named celebrity that comes to mind as you're describing it which is the the uh, the dragon esquely named uh, hip hop star drake <laughs> right, like who might be fire and blood in his own right, but there's an irony to Drake, right, in, when he sings about starting from the bottom and now he's here, right. And there's sort of two ironies to this. The first is that he didn't start from the bottom, right, is that he's you know from like a relatively well-off family in Canada, uh, you know that he had a very nice bar mitzvah, that he like uh, that he um, uh, that, that he was a child actor and a child star on Degrassi, uh, and only then did he become a rapper. Now, right, when he right. became a rapper he had to sort of start from the bottom of that. So like perhaps by his own description, he started from a bottom, but it was not the bottom. And then the, the other irony of it, so he sees this as sort of a long struggle to have gone through all this, but really he's, he's fairly privileged from the get-go. So there's like a tension in that description. But the other one is that the idea that you started at the bottom and you got to where you are uh, qualifies you in some way to proceed from where your current place is, right? This idea that like Daenerys is stormborn. Right in much the same way that Drake started from the bottom <laughs> in that um in that like it's it's talked about how all of these things that she's she's been through and and this quality that she has of of not having been sort of a cushy um uh, she's not one of the the great thirteen of Corth or whatever they are or like the um the uh the grand the magisters of pentos or the Oh gosh, the other highfalutin administrative titles of Yunkai. Of Yunkai, yeah,
0: what are they? The masters of Yunkai, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, whatever they're called. Um, she's not one of them. She's a, she's stormborn. You know, she's rough and tumble. Um and this idea that this uh this makes her better suited to do this thing that she's about to do has yet to be demonstrated. And right. yeah, she's being she's being greeted. There's there there has to be a sense of irony when Jorah Mormon says like, they're greeting you as a, as a liberator, right? mm. Like it's, uh, which is of course the refrain that was said at the beginning of the second Gulf war yeah. for how, of course the, the Iraqi people would welcome the invasion of the American army and would, as you know, solve all of their structural social problems for our sake, just out of gratitude.
0: Well, we'll um, see. We'll see how her effort at, at nation building. Yes. Yeah, could right. go either way. I'm curious. She'll set up, she'll set up a green zone. <laughs> around, you know. <laughs> uh, exactly. all right I, I we're getting close to when we're gonna have to wrap up so why why don't we zoom out a little bit and talk about season three as a whole what do you think um i mean in in each in this this season uh follows the pattern of the previous seasons where uh you know uh pardon the expression episode nine is like the balls to the wall jaw dropping um you know episode whether it's kind of plot with the audacity of plot twist or the audacity of special effects or you know battle and then you know there is some sort of denouement there is some kind of stage setting for uh for what's what's to come um and you know one, one of the things you said earlier is that it helps us to go out you can't go out on Uh, on Catelyn Stark's throat being slit right like imagine a series that ended like that and she fell over and uh, credits and that was the end of the season right (laughs) Yeah. yeah and that and and we'll see you next year yeah that that wouldn't work so what I mean what are we what is the kind of the meta game being played I think with with or you know game at the level of like tv series construction about um I don't know what leaving us on a positive note
1: uh, so what is the metagame being? Well, on one hand, it's, it's just what will the audience enjoy and tolerate Yeah, that we have to make certain concessions just to like, not- you'll notice on the, on the, when they did the recap of the previous episode, everything was very sanitized. Like they didn't show Talisa getting stabbed in the stomach. They didn't even show Catlin getting her throat. So they just saw her right. shoulder falling down. They showed Rob getting stabbed with his back facing us. So they really toned down the reigns of Castamere stuff in preparing for this episode. Um, and I guess, I mean, part of it is that life goes on, right? Long after the thrill of getting stabbed is gone. Uh, but, uh, uh, and I mean, I guess part of it is also, I feel like probably the most important arc of the third season of Game of Thrones is the character arc of Jamie Lannister. Hmm. Uh, and, and because cause, well, cause, cause the, the problem of this season was that you're taking half the book, And the book doesn't really break into halves the way that they want you to break it into halves. The way the book works is it has like set up, set up, set up, set up, set up, set up, and then like 300 pages of balls to the wall action, right? Like, and we've only really gotten through the first couple chapters of balls to the wall action. So clearly they're going to have to reorganize and the different stories are kind of in different places. There isn't really a natural breaking point here. This isn't the end of the story. Um, I think the person whose story makes the most sense as having reached a kind of new place is Jamie Lannister's story. Um, and, and, And I think that the final shot of him coming back to Cersei and just saying her name, saying Cersei, and him coming home again and her regarding him and looking at everything that's happened to him and seeing, you know, his hand cut off and how miserable he looks and disheveled and this look of kind of fear on her face, which is sort of like, can I love this? Right. Like, is this the guy that I've been waiting for really? Like what's happened? Um, I mean, to me, that kind of sums up the meta narrative of the of the of the season pretty well. which is that you went on this horrible journey
0: where you got just chopped up. You just got here. You just got wrecked. Right, you got your hand cut off. Yeah. You got your dick cut off. Yeah, yeah. you got stabbed by by Roose Bolton, who said girl the girl shot you
1: with... full of arrows because right. you were you, you didn't go you didn't hang out with your friends, right? Like, you uh, stabbed an other with a dragon glass blade. Yeah, like all this stuff goes down, and then at the end, it's like, can you go? Can you can you go home? Who gets to go home? Right, uh, and then when you get home, do you recognize it when you're there? Um, in that sense, it's almost Hurt Locker ish, right? It's like it's like Jamie in front of Cersei is like uh, is like Jeremy Renner in the in the cereal aisle. <laughs> he's kind of looking at this, and he's like, "How did I ever live this way?" Or maybe it's Cersei looking at him, or maybe there's some sort of regard for each other. Well, like I that.
0: mean, I think that like you know, I I think that like Cersei, and I'm really projecting, kind of psychologizing her, but like. Yeah. Um, I think that there's something about her where it's like Jamie's out there somewhere, you know, like God's in his heaven, and all's right with the world yeah. and and she hasn't had her conceptions challenged she hasn't had her ideas her kind of abstract systems right which is like you know for her it's love and this kind of forbidden love of her her twin brother right she hasn't yeah. had that challenge in quite the way that a lot of other people have had the starks definitely but you know a lot of characters and and that this that this is this is it like what you know sort of what what did i love what did that love mean what under what conditions can I continue that love? What sacrifice, like how far can you push it away from the, the things that I loved originally, right. About this person, which were like his, you know, maybe, I don't know, his devil may care attitude, his effortless superiority over everybody at fighting and stuff. Right. And on and on and on and on. Um, what, uh, you know, how much of this, uh, you know, I, what what remains to me like when when uh <laughs> when Jamie does come home again, whether or not he can come home again um can home take him in again yeah you know is the question from her point of view
1: and it's it's notable that they they actually brought Jamie home early, that jamie doesn't come home at this point in the story he 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 goes on this whole other detour um and he'll eventually come around to come home but it's it takes a while but they i think that that's a clearer sign that they really want his arc to inform what happens over the course of the third season of the show which is that they make sure. it end on him coming home to cersei and of course yeah. come, having come home having figured out how to love someone else i mean at this point you have to think that he has pretty intense feelings for brienne you know that they've bonded as you you know theirs is a love story right even though it's not one that's you know consummated um at least at this
0: point. Re, now know, is the sort brothers. of odd couple. Now we have uh, the Hound and Arya, or something like that. <laughs>
1: yeah. Now, now we're back to like buddy cop story. I don't think the Hound and Arya are a love story. <laughs> uh, it's like that's like the Hound's like you're a loose cannon Stark. You know, and Stark's <laughs> like you no. Know. And he's like, I'm a day away from retirement. And starts like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm crazy.
0: <laughs> so I'm getting too old for this ass. Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a that's an interesting point. And hey, Maisie Williams, right, turning on the super creepy. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Hello, I just want some food. I'm so <laughs> hungry. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I don't know. It's interesting. Arya's maybe my favorite character from the, mm. uh, from the series of books. So well, mine's um, the hound. So I think we
1: make quite a match. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Excellent. Well, if this, uh, if this buddy cop show has, uh, um, has spurred any thoughts in your head, um, you can, uh, uh, the best thing to do with your thoughts, honestly, is to leave them as a comment on, uh, on the, uh, overthinking it post for this, um, for this episode uh on uh, overthinking it we'll um continue the discussion there thank you pete for these you know these several weeks of having these weekly discussions with me i really like it Valor Doheris, man Valor Doheris. <laughs> <laughs> uh what is that all men must serve yeah, <laughs> <Indeed>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all men must over the valor over thinkerous. <laughs> indeed indeed uh, um so uh yeah that's that if you would like to see uh the rest of these though i you know i don't know i mean these recaps probably have a pretty short shelf life right as sort of entertainments um well, but you go they back are and watching the show yeah yeah they are uh Uh, archived in a playlist. They're published under various YouTube accounts for different reasons, but they're archived on a playlist uh, on the overthinking it YouTube channel. Um, We wish you would, uh, whether you're getting this as a video or whether you're getting it as a, um, as an audio podcast, we wish you would go to the overthinking it YouTube channel and subscribe to that because there's a lot of great uh, stuff that's coming down the pike. um, That's going to be in video form, uh, including more um, TV show recaps. We still have mad men to finish up and there's going to be obviously some breaking bad a little later in the summer. Um, definitely going to do that. Uh, so, uh, you know, we hope, we, we, uh, we hope you'll continue to join us um, for those and uh, join us every day, all day, every day, 24 hours mm-hmm. on the web at www.overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. Hey. Probably, probably doesn't deserve, deserve.